tonight, and uh, invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, Genesis 37. Uh, in our last study, uh, we looked at Gen- uh, chapter 38, which uh, uh, you think, well, if we're going to 37, are we going backwards again? Okay. Uh, we're going to go, take a little, little, uh, little step backwards and then a, a few steps forward and then go into chapter 39 as well tonight. But in chapter 38 is a chapter which most of us probably would rather have not looked at. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago that we, uh, since we had a missionary last week, we were unable to uh, uh, continue our study uh, last week. But uh, uh, this is a chapter that even, in fact, many commentators and preachers just kind of rather skip over. Uh, we said there, if the Bible were not inspired God by God, Genesis 38 probably wouldn't have been there. Uh, but it, because it does not make God's people or the sons of Jacob look very good. If this episode had happened to one of your family members, you'd probably want to keep it quiet. Why hang out your dirty laundry out for everyone to see? But God has a way of hanging out uh, dirty laundry in full public view, that which we would rather cover up. And aren't you glad you don't live in the Bible times and you would have to have your embarrassing family secrets put in the Bible? Well, that's what happened to Jacob's family here. We looked at chapter 38 and it was about conformity to co- corruption. And so that was our... our uh, lesson uh, two weeks ago. Tonight we want to look at the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, when we left Joseph in chapter 37, he had been betrayed by his own brothers. He'd been sold as a slave. Uh, Joseph had been sold to some Ishmaelite merchants for less than $100. His brothers sold him for the price of a crippled slave. And the Ishmaelites took Joseph to Egypt and they put him up for sale in that land. Now try to put yourself tonight in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Think about being 17 years old. Anybody here 17 years old tonight? Do we have any 17-year-olds? We have one, uh, at least. Uh, He's hiding back there in the sound booth. But uh, uh, just think of being 17 years old. You are the favored son in a family of 12 sons, not just uh, three boys, uh, but 12 uh, boys. And uh, your father has chosen you to be the head of the family, given you a beautiful robe or coat to symbolize that. And you're on the path to power, influence, and prominence over your family. And then in a moment of time, everything is gone. You're stripped of your coat. You're betrayed by your people who you should have loved you. You're separated from your father. You're sold as a slave. You're carried off into a strange land. And imagine the humility of uh, being examined and sold in a slave auction. Imagine the lies that Satan must have told him. Now, in many ways, you're just a simple country boy from an unsophisticated family, and you find yourself transported to the capital city of the most advanced nation on earth. Now, I just imagine how Joseph must have felt as the camels crested the last hill and the wonders of ancient Egypt spread out before him on the plains of uh, of Giza. 
The great pyramids probably would have been standing in Joseph's day. In fact, they would have been over a thousand years old when his great-grandfather Abraham visited the land many years before. And Joseph would have seen the Sphinx, the great Egyptian temples, the lavish uh, palaces of the Pharaoh and his people. And it must have been a great culture shock to this young man from the country. Now on the surface, it seemed that circumstances could not have been worse for this young man. Uh, In truth, these difficult days were just mere stepping stones along the path to greater glory. It may have appeared that all of Joseph's dreams had been shattered, but the God who gave the dreams in the first place was actually working behind the scenes to ensure that they would be fulfilled in his time. And what no one could see in all this trouble surrounding young Joseph and his life is stated clearly in here in Genesis 39 and verse 2, which we'll get to here in a moment. Genesis 39 and verse 2, it says there, And the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. I want us to learn the great truth that our God is always with His people to see them through their trials, to accomplish His plans in their lives, and to use them to point a lost world to Himself. I want us to to join Joseph here in the early days of his slavery, I want to show you the ways we can know that the Lord was with him. And as we study these truths, please keep that in mind. What the Lord did for Joseph, he will also do for you. And we want to show you some of the ways God blessed this young man. Now, first of all, we see that God protected him. You go back to chapter 37 there, and the last verse of... uh, Chapter 37 and verse 36, and it says, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh's Pharaoh's and the captain of the guard. And as I stated a moment ago, it seemed that all that had fallen apart for Joseph. And yet you will take, if you'll take a, a minute or a moment to examine the facts, it becomes clear that Joseph was in the hand of a divine of divine providence. And considering all he faced, too many things just happened to fall into place for him. You know, think about the intervention of Reuben back in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, Think about Judah's idea to sell Joseph as a slave. Think about the appearance of the Ishmaelite traders. Uh, The fact uh, that he was sold to Potiphar. Uh, in, these are all in, in chapter 37 there. Now, Potiphar was called the captain of the guard. His position seems to have been that of the chief executioner. Uh, he was like the head of Pharaoh's secret police. Uh, he was responsible for protecting his boss and for dealing with those who dared to attack the Pharaoh. Potiphar, by virtue of his position would have been in contact with many of the dignitaries and the political officials there in Egypt. Uh, It's not outside the realm of possibility that Joseph would have been introduced to many of those influential people who he uh, would later serve him. And so God was setting everything up just like it needed to be so that Joseph arrived exactly where he needed to be at the exact moment he needed to be there. Joseph might, uh, might have been a slave, but he was safe in the arms of divine providence. He might have been separated from his earthly father, 
but his heavenly father went with him and before him into Egypt. You can see how much control the Lord has by looking at the actions of the people involved in this account. You know, Joseph's brothers, the Ishmaelite traders, and Potiphar were all serving their own self-interest, weren't they? His brothers wanted to get rid of Joseph and get rid of his dreams. The Ishmaelites, they wanted a prophet to be made. A Potiphar was just looking for a good deal on a slave. Why they could not see, what they could not see, is that they were all unwittingly accomplishing the purposes of a sovereign God. Now, isn't it a comfort to know that God can use lost people to accomplish His purposes? Isn't it a blessing to know that all the events of our lives are a part of God's plans for us? While the events of Joseph's life appeared, uh, Joseph's life appeared to be out of control, they were actually being controlled by God. You see, Joseph was being protected by the Lord. Notice how the Lord protected him. Two particular ways. First of all, one by God's presence. There in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2, it says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now God was protecting him here, and one of the things he was protecting him here was from a bitter spirit. You see, we find no hint here that Joseph was upset or angry or bitter because of his difficulties. You know, if you had gotten thrown into a pit and then sold as a slave, you would have probably been a little bit upset. No, I think I would have been. How dare them do that? Uh, we'd, we'd probably start fuming. Probably, uh, probably uh, smoking up the back of our collar there just because we were upset about what was happening to us. We don't have any hint here that Joseph was angry. I'm sure he wondered what was going on but he surrendered even to the, his hardships because he knew that God was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. And then also we find uh, by God's providence, we see God protected him. Remember the dreams that God gave Joseph back in chapter 37, verses 5 through 11? Those dreams were not off track. They were being fulfilled in God's time and in God's way. And I'm sure those dreams were dreams that uh, sustained Joseph even during the dark days of his servitude. And you and I have the same protections that Joseph enjoyed. Uh, we have his presence. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. In Matthew 28 and verse 20, in the Great Commission, it tells us that we're to go and preach the gospel, but we're also to teach them, those that we go to, to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then he says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So be it. So we have his presence but we also have His help. We have His help to deal with our past, to deal with our problems, 
and to deal with the pain that we, uh, we in, uh, have along the way. Ephesians chapter 4 is a wonderful chapter in the Bible. It tells us in verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, we don't have to become bitter. We don't have to become angry and uh, unforgiving. We can display a sweet spirit even during the most trying times of our Lord's, with our Lord's help. We have God's promise that all things work together for good in Romans 8, 28. You know, a lot of what happens in life does not make good sense. But it does not change the fact that God is in control of everything that happens to us. And obedience to the Lord may lead us into the eye of a terrible storm. And this is proved true in Joseph's life here. This is also true of the Lord Jesus Himself. And as I've told you before, God's purpose in our trials is not to harm us, but to develop us. And we can trust Him to protect us and to grow us and to, uh, uh, even in the midst of, of hardships in this life. Our God is in control. And so we find here that God protected him. Secondly, God prospered him. In verse uh, uh, 2 and uh, 3 there, in chapter 39, it says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and what the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. You know, when Joseph arrived in Egypt, he was no longer uh, in possession of that coat of many colors. He may have lost his coat, but his character was still very much intact. The coat that Jacob gave Joseph was a symbol of his position in the family. It marked him as the overseer. It marked him as the head of the family. It marked him as one uh, in charge of all things. It marked him as a man of authority. And Joseph's authority did not come from the robe his authority did not come from some piece of cloth. His authority came from his character. He was a godly young man who walked before his father in absolute integrity. When jo Joseph lost his coat, he lost nothing that had made him a great man. Joseph's greatness did not come from the clothes on his body, but from the character in his heart. He may have worn the humble garments of a slave, but he was still a man of character and integrity. You know, we ought to have the same testimony. We need to be people of character and integrity. You know, some people are, are, differing, uh, are different depending on what, when you meet them. Uh, you might meet someone at church, and they're one kind of person. But you might meet them downtown, and they may be somebody completely different. I would suggest that we need to be people the same regardless of where we are. Whether we're in church or we're at home or we're out in the, in the community, we should strive to do the right thing at all times. We should determine in our hearts that we have, uh, are to have a good attitude and a demonstrate Christ-likeness all of the time. 
You know, when Joseph arrived in Egypt, he could have taken several different paths. Uh, he could have adopted the ways and the customs of his new land. He could have abandoned his God. He could have uh, 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 embraced the polytheistic religion of Egypt. But Joseph just stayed the course. You see, he may have been purchased by Potiphar, but Joseph belonged to God. He had already made up his mind how things were going to be in his life. It made no difference whether he was in his father's house or in a pit or in the possession of, uh, of slave traders or in the house of his master. Joseph had purposed in his heart that he was always going to do the right thing. And that just is just what he did. Joseph was a man of integrity regardless of the situation in which he found himself. And like Joseph, you and I need to establish some boundaries in our lives. We need to make up our minds that there are some things we're just not going to do. Uh, we're not going to involve ourselves in the things of this world, in the drinking and the drugs and the bad language, the uh, premarital sex and the adultery and the pornography and the gossip, and we could go on and on uh, about worldly things. And we've got to determine that by God's grace, that's not going to be a part of our lives. And then when that situation arrives, we don't have to debate about it. Now, well, shall I do this or should I, shouldn't I? We just know what we're going to do, and we don't do what, are, what is wrong. We do what's right. We've already made up our minds, and the issue is settled. Now, we're told here in verse 2 that Joseph was a prosperous man. Verse 3 tells us the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now, some people might have looked at uh, uh, Joseph and his advancement there as he uh, uh, would uh, advance uh, through, through this life in the home of Potiphar, and they'd say, well, you know what? You were just, you just had good luck. Uh, they would see a young man like Joseph, and, and he had some bad breaks, and then everything turned around for him. Uh, things start heading the other way, and people often look at that, and they say, man, he sure was lucky. He sure was lucky. Had anybody ever tell you that? And boy, you sure are lucky. You're lucky to have uh, what you have. You're lucky to have the family that you have. Folks, I want you to know that luck has nothing to do with Joseph's success. And luck has nothing to do with your success, your prosperity either. In fact, I don't believe there is anything such as luck. Uh, luck is for fairy tales, for mythical stories, but not for children of the living God. I think we need to, uh, we just need to erase that, say, well, good luck. You know, we say that sometimes. Well, good luck. Have a good game. Good luck. No. Do your best for the Lord. And God will, will, will uh, uh, God's plan will, will happen. You know, Joseph prospered because God blessed him. Uh, Joseph prospered because God saw in Joseph a man uh, who would tr he could trust to do his will. And what some would call luck in a person's life may be nothing more than a manifestation of good, godly character. Maybe God blesses some people more than he does others because they have the right kind of character. Maybe they enjoy his blessings because they have integrity. Maybe they are blessed because he can trust them to do what's right. You know, when I see, what I see 
And I want you to see here is Joseph was in a bad situation, but he still lived a life that blessed was blessed by the Lord. I'm sure that his life was a life of endless drudgery and service, but he was faithful to his tasks. His character caused him to be faithful in his God and to his master. As a result, God blessed his life and his work. Now, two thoughts I think I, want, I don't want you to miss here. Two particular thoughts. Just because you're going through trials and problems does not mean that God is not blessing you. You might not see Him moving in your life, but you just trust Him, and in His time, He will manifest His presence and His glory and His power. The other thing is that Joseph made the best out of a terrible situation. We don't find him moaning and groaning and complaining here. He demonstrated a proper attitude in the midst of his trials, and so should we. The secret to happiness in hard times is how you respond to what is happening to you. You know, 90% of living a joyful life is simply responding well to your trials. Life is what you make it. Now, you may have heard of those two frogs that fell into a bucket of fresh milk. One was so upset, he quickly lost all hope, and he sank and he drowned. The other tried hard to get out. He kicked and 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 eventually he churned that butter, uh, milk into butter and he walked out of the bucket. You see, it's all how you handle life. Either you handle it or it will handle you. The great Baptist preacher, John Bunyan, was thrown into prison in the 17th century England for preaching the gospel without a license. He spent 12 years in jail because he would not promise the court that he would not preach if he were released. He could have been, become discouraged by this long imprisonment, but John Bunyan was a man of character and integrity. While he was in jail, I understand that he had a stool there that had some legs on it, and he removed one of the legs and he carved it into a flute. Uh, he could use that flute to play gospel songs. And while he was in jail, Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, an allegory of the Christian life. It's the second largest selling book in history. Only the Bible has sold more copies. You see, John Bunyan could have given up. Instead, he used his trials as a place to glorify his God. And in turn, God blessed him. By the way, the Lord's still looking for men and women of faith and character and integrity. He is still looking for people He can use in these days to get glory and honor, to give glory and honor to His name. I think of uh, this lady in the Ravensbrück death camp, operated by the Nazis. This young lady, and here she's not so young anymore, but her name is Corey Tinboom. She was forced to endure the appalling atrocities that you can imagine uh, and many more that you cannot imagine. She was starved, she was beaten, she was threatened, she was forced to live with lice and fleas and rats. She witnessed the death of her weaker younger sister. She saw thousands of Jews and Jewish sympathizers leave that place through the smokestacks of the crematoriums. She surely could not understand why she, along with thousands of others, were forced to endure such hardship and agony. But Corey Tinboom, inmate number 66730, 
determined in her heart that while she was there, she would be the best Christian that she could be. In the barracks number 28, she started a clandestine Bible study and helped many others make it through those difficult years. Eventually, she also won her freedom. Now, many might have been very embittered by that kind of experience. Corey Tinboom, however, was used by the Lord in a mighty fashion after World War II. She carried on the message of Christ around the world. Tens of thousands learned of the power of grace and forgiveness of God. She took her impossible situation, used it to glorify God. And so we find here God protected Joseph. God prospered him. And then thirdly, God promoted him. Look at verses 4 through 6 here in Genesis 39. In verse 4 it says, And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not what ought he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Potiphar saw that the hand of God was upon the life of Joseph. See that in verse 3. He knew that there was something special about this Hebrew slave. And as he watched Joseph work, and as he saw the results of his work, Potiphar saw that everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. Potiphar promoted Joseph and he made him the overseer of his entire household. Joseph was in control of everything that happened in Potiphar's home and in his business interests. Potiphar learned that he had, could trust Joseph to do the right thing. He discovered that Joseph was a man of industry and integrity. He was a worker who did the best job he could for his master. Joseph served Potiphar like he served, was serving the Lord. Now there's a word for everyone here in this room tonight. We all answer to someone. Whoever that person or that group of people is, we should give our best at all times. That means giving eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. That means doing what they uh, tell you to do without complaint, without uh, a bad attitude. That means serving your employer like you're serving the Lord. It means working with industry and in integrity for the glory of God. And like cream, Joseph continues to rise to the top. You know, regardless of the situation in which he would find himself, he walks with integrity. He seeks to glorify God, and it showed in his life. Even Potiphar, the pagan Egyptian, saw something different. And you don't you suppose that the people that you work with, the people that you live next to, the people that you uh, uh, are surrounded by, if you walk in uh, integrity and in godly character, they won't see it. They surely will. The life Joseph uh, lived proclaimed the glory of his God. Potiphar saw him uh, for himself the influence that God had in the life of Joseph. And the touch of God in his life opened the door for Joseph to share his faith with Potiphar. And the same ought to be true for each one of us. The lives we live should be so different from the world around us 
that the mark of God's favor will be so obvious and so clear to see. Joseph lived a godly life. He glorified God, and God promoted him and used him in a powerful way. And the Lord will do the same for your life and for mine. You know, if he can trust us with the task he assigns us, then he'll entrust us with even greater things down the road. The Bible says he uh, that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in, the, in much. It may sound kind of like a cliche, but as the saying goes, when we, we bloom where we're planted, and when we serve the Lord with industry and integrity, he will open up to us new avenues of service. He will use us when we get to in a place of usability. Now, as we close this evening our message here, God used the sorrows of Joseph's life to shape him into a man he desired him to become. The trials Joseph faced, the trials that you and I face are never easy. I do uh, know that trials will teach us to depend upon God. Our trials help us to maintain a tender and compassionate heart. Our trials teach us to value tears. Our trials make us useful to the Lord. We should never seek to shun the trials of life. Because in shunning our trials, we're shunning the best of God's blessings in our life. I think it was A.W. Tozer that once said, it is doubtful that God would ever use anyone greatly without first hurting them deeply. That sometimes concerns me. If I'm going to be used by God, I might have to suffer. I might have to suffer. A poet penned the following words. I think they fit right here very well. He said, I walked a mile with pleasure and she chattered all the way but left me none the wiser for all that she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word, said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. I think we ought to want to be used of God, but we do not want the heartaches that come first, do we? I'm afraid that we cannot have one without the other. They seem to go hand in hand. Here's Maybe a final word of encouragement. No matter how hard the way of life becomes, if you are saved, the same thing that was said about Joseph is true about you. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. You do not have to face the trials of life on your own. You do not have to walk through the valleys alone. Every step you take, You're on the path of divine providence and God is in the business of protecting you, prospering you, and promoting you for His glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you.